What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? And we're joined by our faithful friends, our live audience. What's up, guys? Hey. <laughs> they said hi in case you didn't hear that. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so we have a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking uh, to our first second-time guest. Does that make sense? Yes. It's our first second-time guest, and her name is Marcia Montenegro. And uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing Enneagram Part Two. That's what we're gonna be doing. Yeah. So, uh, but we're gonna get into that in just a minute. But before we do that, Rosie, what do you know? Uh, hey, <laughs> I know I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> I know you but do. But did know a lot. you know <laughs> that uh, Pope Francis is a uh, member of the Harlem Globetrotters? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can he you is, imagine he's him? He's on the roster. Yeah. He's, Pope Francis is on the roster of the Harlem Trotters. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. He became an honorary member. Can he dunk? He cannot. What's his three-point game like? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Did he get a jersey? He's a short German guy. I don't think... Well, actually, he's pretty tall, isn't he? I think he's above six foot. I have no clue. Um, but yeah, here, do you want to know some other honorary Globetrotters? Sure. There's only nine people. <laughs> uh, well... As of when this article was written about the Pope, the yeah. Pope was the ninth. Okay. Uh, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> okay. Bob Hope. Yeah. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. That's all right. He makes sense. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Nelson Mandela. Nelson the terrorist Mandela. Effect. Mandela, Mandela effect. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say uh, he affected a lot of people's lives. Right. Uh, leading a terrorist group. Yeah. That killed a lot of people. Mm. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. Olympic gold medal athlete. I don't care about her. I don't know him. Uh, Pope John Paul <laughs> II, or Pope John Paul, and Jesse Jackson. Wow. So there's two popes that made it on there. Two popes, yeah. Johnny Paul and Francis. Yeah. Cool. And how about, I got another one for you just because whatever. Yeah. Did you know that Michael Jackson tried to buy Marvel Comics in early 1990s so that he could play Spider-Man in his own produced movie? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that, did you? Hee hee. I did not know that. Yeah. Marvel Comics. He tried to buy it so he can produce his own. He, he wanted to be Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, when you get to be that point, Michael Jackson was so rich. I mean, the dude bought the Beatles collection, like yeah. all the rights. That's it. I mean, that's just smart business I know. Stuff. But so when you can And afford... he bought the elephant man's bones. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know what's... I just put this together. You know what's really weird about Spider-Man? What? Spider-Man was a boy. Oh, come on. And Michael Jackson wanted to be a boy. He was per, like literally forever Dude. stuck in yeah. that perpetual his... childhood. He yeah. was really messed up. Because his, just saying, his boyhood was stolen when he... His his childhood was stolen because yeah. of the music industry. Wow, yeah. that, it might have been stolen too that way. You know, Whoa, unfortunately. Wow. Hey, hey, now that's how that's how rumors get started. Yeah, but you know, anyways. Yeah. Hey, uh, we got a great episode. We're gonna be talking to Marsha Montenegro. And what we just talked about has nothing to do with no indication of right. How great the actual the rest of the podcast is a right. lot better than what this just was. <laughs> I feel like we started off on the rough foot here. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what we should do right now? I'm just gonna do it real quick. Uh, baby update. Baby's born. It's healthy. We're not doing it ever again. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Okay, baby was born. It's healthy. There we go. Okay. Done. <laughs> now we're done. <laughs> done. <laughs> the baby is born. And it's been. It's parents took it. Yeah, she's been being. Good. She's being raised by wolves. Yeah. So dropped her out in the uh, 
in a parking lot behind the <laughs> okay, Safeway. <wiz. laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Anyways. Hey, let's get let's get to this podcast episode yes. on Enneagram Part Two. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, everybody, it is my privilege and honor to introduce to you for the second time on our podcast, Rosie, the second time. Yeah, I think the first first time we've had a, a returning guest. Uh, yeah, I think this is our first ever returning guest. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm very, very honored. <laughs> well, we are honored as well. Yeah. We are here. This is, I want to introduce Marsha Montenegro from Christian Answers for the New Age. She has a website called ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org. And we had you on just a few, about two months ago, maybe a little longer than that, about the Enneagram. And uh, and so one of the reasons that we that I reached out to you uh, recently was because I posted on my personal Facebook page, uh, my own Facebook page, not the, not the podcast Facebook page, but mine, a link to an article that you wrote about the Enneagram. And unbeknownst to me, it caused a quite a big stir. There was a lot of responses, and <laughs> normally I don't I don't get a lot of responses to anything that I do personally on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. But and there was just some really great interactions that occurred, and you actually got jumped in on the conversations, <laughs> which was even better because then I didn't have to do the hard part thinking and research. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I think somebody tagged me. I think that was. I think what I, happened. Yeah, I think I tagged you in it or something. Yeah, somebody uh, did. You and maybe somebody else. Yeah, I, I I know I was tagged, and that's how I how I got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, towards the end, like a few days later, you posted a that you have a book coming out, and so we right. and so that was I was really excited about the fact that you got a book coming out and. Um, and so we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the name of the book is actually called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. And, uh, right. and it's written by uh, Don and Joy. Is it Vinoy? Is that how you say it? No, it's Vino. It's Vino. Vino. Okay. Like, 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 it's like drinking wine. Like you know? the wine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so not spelled that way. Not spelled that way. <laughs> yeah. So nowhere close to what you attempted to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm known for my looks, not my brains, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, so you co-wrote this book with, with Don and Joy and, uh, the foreword was written by Dr. Uh, H. Wayne House. I got that name correct. correct. <laughs> yes, that yeah. one you got. So, um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the book and what your intent was, and then we can kind of have a little discussion about this along the way. Okay, sure. Uh, the book came about because, you know, I, along with John uh, Vino, who, uh, by the way, Don and Joy Vino have been directing um, – Midwest Christian Outreach, which is a ministry um, in the Chicago area. They're, they've moved a little bit further outside of Chicago, but they're still in the general area there. And I don't know how long Don's done that ministry. I think they've done it for at least 30 years. So, oh, I mean, wow. he's been, yeah, he's been in a long time and has dealt with a lot of things. They deal a lot with um, 
with cults, um, mm-hmm. talking to people who have family members in cults, and then tr- if they can, dialogue with the people and themselves, uh, give information, and deal not just with cults, but with other things going on in the church sometimes that are um, involving uh, troubling or false doctrines. Uh, so really should maybe have Don on sometimes. He has a lot yeah. of stories. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, he's the one that sort of uncovered uh, Gwen Shamblin in the Way Down workshops when she posted something uh, about Jesus and not, not being God. Mm-hmm. And that led to a, an interesting chain of events. But anyway, so he has been involved in a lot of different areas. Well, he was noticing, along with me, how much the Enneagram was growing. And, I mean, just incredible. It just seemed to get, uh, you know, stronger and stronger in the church. It was with no signs of abating. And we had actually talked initially. It was his idea maybe to do a open letter, like an open public letter and have a website and have mm-hmm. get so, a number of people um, to sign it, especially people who might be Christ, Christian authors, Christian professors, people like that, uh, kind of addressing the concern. These are the concerns we have. Mm-hmm. But in talking to other people about it, he said he came to the realization that that was just going to take a really long time, you know, mm-hmm. to do, to just get all those people, you know, contact them and write the letter and get people right. to sign it. And he said, and the, and the way he put it to me, as I recall, it was, I think it's just better to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, I'm thinking open letter. That's the easy thing. Mm-hmm. Then you're saying, let's write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and then to him, that was easier. And he felt like that could actually be done faster. And uh, so, he had given a lot of thought and talked to some people and I was scared at first. I was like, Oh my goodness, I'll just set everything aside. Just, you know, try to write. But you know, he said, you already have the information. You've been writing articles and Facebook posts, you know, for uh, several years on this topic. And so he said, just a matter of, you know, putting it all together. Well, so we did, we ended up um, writing, I wrote certain chapters and he enjoyed, wrote other chapters and then we um we both would you know look at each other's chapters and he also was showing them uh to his pastor and then we would get feedback and then he would decide to add certain things in and so it was just this process of of getting it all together and getting all the information together john put a lot of the scriptural things in it and uh so it got done. I mean, he said we need it done by December and we got it done by December. Uh, and we had sent out, we had contacted people to, um, you know, look it over and see if they were willing to write an endorsement. We got a number of great endorsements. We have um, some professors from my seminary who have endorsed it, have, um, former new ager. We have, um, ministry leaders, and we have Dr. Dr. House, who's the Distinguished Research Professor of Theology, Law, and Culture at Faith Evangelical College and Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, who has written the foreword. So it all came together. There was a lot of work behind the scenes, I think especially on John's part, um, who was dealing with all the details. And it 
has gone off to be put in print and should come out the end of the month. Hmm. So uh, it's going, but people will be able to pre-order hopefully by the end of this week, if not certainly by the early part of of next week and they can pre-order. And then eventually like around April 5th or so, it will be on Amazon and some other venues. And it will also be an ebook. So people can get it, um, you know, an electronic version. Well, so that's, that's the story. So, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's um, Richard War is, is in the title because mm-hmm. he can't be left out because he is so instrumental in why the Enneagram is in the church. Yeah, and I was going to say maybe uh, that'd be just a perfect segue to go into it because I think last time when we oh, were you going to say something Turner? Yeah, I just want to say okay, but okay. let me just make this preface to our listeners. If you have not listened to oh. the previous podcast with Marsha on the Enneagram you need to go back and listen to that first and then pick up with us here mm-hmm. because she's probably going to refer to things that she mentioned back there and I want you to be all on the same page. So yeah. <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't heard that yet, push stop, go go find it in our library catalog on your podcast app. Listen to that and then come back and join us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I made my announcement. There you go. Yeah. No, I was just <laughs> I, I was going to say something very similar and and say uh so we last time you were on you we kind of just briefly or not it wasn't briefly. Um we touched on uh more of the Enneagram itself and we went and you went into some of the history about it, but, uh, yeah, yeah. this would be awesome to, yeah, we'll let you have the floor and go into, yeah. Who is Richard Rohr? Uh, why does he, uh, like you said, he's in the title of the book. Uh, so he's obviously, uh, instrumental in, like you said, bringing it to, uh, the church and the Enneagram. Yeah. So I'll just, I don't know. I just wanted to get some words in maybe <laughs> before. So I was going to say, the sure. fl- just say the floor is yours. So please introduce us to okay. Richard. Sure. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. I think I did go into quite a bit of the history of it in the first program. And I can, you know, go over some of that as well tonight. Uh, but the way it got into the church really was uh, mainly through Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest. And I can't remember how much I talked about him last time. I, I just don't remember. If, I'm sure I must have mentioned him, but I don't know yeah, how you, much we spent on him. You definitely did. And I know you had talked about um, the, this is my memory is pretty bad. Um, it, it, it uh, he was one of the, like you said, the Franciscans that uh, started yeah. a, um, it wasn't a, I don't want to say a theological seminary or is that correct that he worked, he either worked at a seminary or he started a seminary? No. Okay. No, no. Um, he, he has some, he has a center That's for it. Okay. Uh, action and contemplation in Albuquerque, but yes. he was at, um, a seminary Okay. where, um, years ago when the Enneagram was first introduced, um, by a Jesuit named Bob Ox went mm-hmm. to a seminary in, um, I believe it was in Chicago, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I think it was called Loyola, but mm-hmm. I might be wrong on that. And introduced it to some 
students there or Jesuit priests at the seminary. I don't know the details of it. I just know Bob Ox, O-C-H-S, took it there. And then some of the Jesuits learned it. Now, Richard Ward was not a Jesuit. I don't know if he ever was a Jesuit. I know he's a Franciscan now. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was ever a Jesuit. Mm -hmm. But he was there. And um, I don't know that he learned it from Bob Ox, but he learned it from somebody who learned it from Bob Ox, and he learned it... um, and we're pretty sure he may have learned it from um, Father Mitch Pacwa, P-A-C-W-A. And the reason why that name is important is because later, uh, Mitch Pacwa, uh, researching it, came to the realization this was not a, good, not a valid tool and not a good tool hmm. to have for Christians. And he wrote a book called Catholics and, New, and the New Age, and he had a chapter in that book exposing the Enneagram wow. and basically saying, this is not, you know, saying this is what it really is and Christians should have nothing to do with it. And that later became, I think, the basis for his article in the Christian Research Journal, mm-hmm. which is an article I read years ago. Um, it was called Tell Me Who I Am, O Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's online. I think you can find it pretty easily online. And so he's, he was one of the first people to expose it, you know, to, to say, wait a minute, let's look at this again. As, you know, from a Christian perspective, ex- expose it after it was already introduced to some of these Catholics. Now, the Catholic Church never endorsed it, and I think maybe they even warned about it, but they did never endorse it, but it was just these, you know, these people were doing it anyway. And right. it got into a lot of uh, Catholic retreat centers and people who just thought it was useful started using it on their own. Um, and so I was aware of that going on, and I also was aware of it being in the New Age. Mm-hmm. Now, Richard Rohr, I'll, I'm skipping ahead now, but so Richard Rohr learned it, and then he, um, I guess, was using it and teaching it. And he and um, another man wrote a book called The Enneagram, A Christian mm. Perspective. Wow. And... That book, and I don't know why the other man's name has totally left me, but it's, I'm sorry, it's just left me. It's, it's on the book, so if you look it up, <laughs> um, I usually know it, but for some reason, it's, I think it's, his last name is Eber or something, but I could be wrong. So he, these two men wrote this book, and it first was published in German, in Germany or Austria. Hmm. Then it got translated into English, and that was around 1989, and then around 1990, and then I think another edition came out in 91 in English um, in the United States, and it was the Enneagram, a Christian perspective. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know how much impact it had at that time. Maybe some Catholics were using it, but it wasn't out in the general, you know, by it, the church, Christians in the evangelical church were, I'm sure, totally unaware of it. Uh, and so for several years, a uh, number of years went by, and then as the group of people that used to be called emergence, like these were people like Rob Bell, mm-hmm. Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, who were all that started kind of in the late nineties, becoming a movement of changing the way church was done and trying to reach the unchurched generation and it, all kinds of things were going on then. And some of the people who were leading that movement were very open to ideas that were 
definitely not the traditional right. ideas and definitely not always very doctrinal. Mm-hmm. And some of them were teaching some very dubious things. Yeah. And, uh, but they were still there. They were very popular. And a lot of people didn't realize right away that they were teaching dubious kinds of things. Although, I mean, I read Velvet Elvis and I saw multi problems with it, Right. Yeah. but that book was very popular. Mm-hmm. And so they liked Richard War. Now how Richard War initially first, you know, how they got together, I'm not sure. I don't know if he went to them or they kind of learned about him and got interested in him. I'm not sure, but they, they got to know each other. He has had um, some of them speak at his center in Albuquerque, and he, I think, was probably at some of their conferences, and I, I don't know the whole history of it, but I know that they really like Richard Ward. And these people are now what we call the progressive, the progressive movement in Christianity, and actually, it's called progressive Christianity. It's, it's, that's what it's called. Yeah. So, the progressives started gathering more and more steam around 2011, 2010, 2011, 2012, and they were having conferences. And I noticed that they were introducing the Enneagram as conferences. And so, now, I kind of knew about the Enneagram in the 1980s when I was in the New Age. I never did it. I heard about it. I kind of knew what it was. I wasn't interested in it because I had astrology. You mm-hmm. know, I was an astrologer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I wasn't interested in something like that because I thought, well, astrology is so superior to anything, you know. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> so um, uh, the next time I heard about it was in the 90s when I was contacted by my church on behalf of some missionaries in Austria hmm. who had run into it there. And probably because Austria, there's a lot of Catholics there, and right. it was probably they're probably dealing with with some Catholic people, and so they were asking for information. And I happened to have a little booklet written by a Catholic woman um, exposing the Enneagram, saying where it was really from, and it really had no Christian background, etc. And so I, um, I think I photocopied the booklet or something, and it was faxed over to to those missionaries. Well, then the next time I hear about it is in the in the progress from the progressives, and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, they're doing the enneagram, and I noticed a book that had come out on it, and um, I looked at the website of this woman named Alice Freiling, and she was just going on and on about it and how wonderful it was, and I noticed that she had done workshops or had been teaching at Richard Wolfer's Center. Now that was very revealing to me. I did not know a lot about Richard Ward then, but I knew that at his center, he would have people like Buddhists and new agers speak. You know, I knew he was doing that. Hmm. So I knew that he was not um, probably very biblically orthodox. That was kind of a big clue. And I thought, wait, this is a guy that has Buddhist and Marianne Williamson, people like Marianne Williamson (laughs) come speak at his conferences. And I thought, and she's working with him, you know, so right. that really got me interested. So I wrote my first article in 2011, the Enneagram GPS, not path to the self. 2011, and I you wrote said about 2011? It 2011. Wow. And I wrote it as of nine years ago as a tool for the true self. Hmm. And I, you know, used that booklet I had and some material, there was more material online then, and wrote my article. It's a very detailed article. Well, 
I thought at the time, okay, so we're seeing it in progressive circles, but, you know, surely, you know, now people will see, you know, I have my article, it's kind of like, okay, you know, my work's done. <laughs> right. I thought, I, yeah, you know, like everyone's going to know where my article is, you know, well, <laughs> right. you know, I, I you know, I, how many people maybe would come across it, I don't know, but I thought, well, it's there, if people do searches, they can at least maybe find it that way, and they'll read it, and they'll see, oh, yeah, this is something that's, you know, not Christian at all, and, you know, for a few years, it seemed to stay that way, and then all of a sudden, I found out, I think in 2016, when the first Enneagram book came out, I think that was The Road Back to You by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw that, you know, it was coming from InterVarsity Press. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, what's, you know, what is going on here? This is usually viewed as an evangelical Christian publisher. And, um, I saw they were doing tours and talking about the Enneagram. And the same thing happened with Chris Horitz in his book, The Sacred Enneagram, that was published by Zondervan. Mm -hmm. Now, one was in 2016 and one was in 2017, and I told myself I'd remember which was which. But now (laughs) that I think about it, I don't know. One of them came one year before the other. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the Road Back to You was first, but now I'm not positive. Whichever one, they did tours with both of them. And I know with Chris Hurt, he went to seminaries and churches talking mm-hmm. about the Enneagram. Because, and the reason I remember this so well is that I did a number of Facebook posts on it. Mm-hmm. So in 2016 or 2017, I actually started in 2016 doing these posts on the Enneagram. And I was saying, you know, we need to be aware of this. This is like beginning, it looks like it's getting into the church. It's it's, it's these seminaries and some churches. And I thought these, maybe it's still seen as a little out there, but it's there. Mm -hmm. So I was getting a little more concerned now. And so I was doing a lot of posts um, on it and I was giving all the information and I was uh, talking about the authors. I was reading interviews, Dave, and I would see some red flags. And so I would write them in my posts. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess some people read it and were kind of like, oh, yeah, this doesn't sound so good. But, you know, at that time, most Christians didn't know what it was at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something they had never heard of. So I don't think they were alarmed, even if, okay, so there's a book and some people are doing tours. You know, that doesn't mean that it's really going to go anywhere. But look what happened. Right. <laughs> In just, you know, three or four short years, it just became this this incredible, um, gosh, I didn't even know the word for it. You know, it just, it just came in like a, like a tornado into the church and it really grew. You know, I noticed it really getting a lot of interest in 2018. And then last year it seemed to really pick up speed and I was just doing, it seemed like I was doing a post on it every other day last year. <laughs> I don't even know how many posts I've done on Facebook. I see, I tell people probably 150, but it could even be more than that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm probably, it's probably more. And so in the process of all of this, looking at the Enneagram, there was a parallel thing where I was, I had started looking at Richard Rohr in 2013, but not in connection to the Enneagram. Hmm. I was just looking at him because um, I noticed he was very popular with the progressives and he was everywhere. You know, he's on YouTube and he's got a blog and he, I saw lots of references to him 
And I thought, you know, I need to kind of see who this guy is. And I came across this interview he gave um, called Cosmic Christ. Mm. And I listened to it, and it's not a very long thing. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's 15 or 20 minutes. And I listened to it, and I, can't, I was like sitting here thinking, am I really hearing what I think I'm hearing? You know, so I thought I must not be hearing it right. So I listened to it. I think I listened the first time to it. I listened to it like four times <laughs> to make sure. That you heard <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, he's saying things like, the Big Bang was the beginning of, of Christ, and and wow. um, he was saying all these strange, all these strange things, and I'm like, what is he talking about? So I started looking into him then, and at that point, see, it had nothing to do with the enneagram; it was just Richard Rohr on his own. And as time went by, and I read more and heard him speak more, I was getting a better idea of, of what he was saying, and I understood that he was a follower of Tyhar de Chardin, who I just knew a little bit about, not a lot. So I looked up more information on him. He was, a, he was I think, a Jesuit. He was a, a priest, I know, mm-hmm. a Catholic priest. And he was a scientist, and he wanted to reconcile evolution with the Catholic Church teaching. That was one of his goals. And one of the things he taught was that there's a cosmic Christ that's really, from what I understand, I'm not sure if this is what he taught, but from the way I understand it from Roar, the cosmic Christ is sort of like this force that is pulling uh, everything creation, you mm. know, on this evolutionary path towards the point of perfection. And so Roar <laughs> apparently... Uh, was very, he referred, has referred to Tyre de Chardin quite a bit. And he apparently models his ideas on that because he talks about, and, and at first he used the term cosmic Christ. And now he's switched to the universal Christ. Mm-hmm. And he has a book called The Universal Christ. And I have an article on it on my website. And I think if somebody wants to know his theology and why it is, uh, departing from the faith. If you read my article, it's there. I have quotes from from the book straight straight from him, and um, you can see where he's coming from. So then I began to understand that he had this view that was not in keeping at all with scripture. He believed that, and I and then I finally understood what he was talking about with the Big Bang. He says that the first incarnation of Christ was creation. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it takes a few seconds to kind of <laughs> process that, like, okay, wait, let me think about that. Yeah. So creation was the first incarnation, and the second incarnation was when he was Jesus. Oh, and so, so he's a, he's a now, modalist at some, at, in some way, kind of, I guess. If you... Not really, because Jesus is, is not, he doesn't say Jesus is the Father. He, he, he thinks, this is really panentheism, that, G, that Christ is creation, that's panentheism. He believes Christ is in, is in creation, there's this power in creation that's Christ. And so we all have, divine, this is a, a favorite phrase of his, we all have divine DNA. And because everybody's in Christ because we're all part of creation and we're all in creation, so we're all part of Christ. So there's no need for salvation. 
<laughs> there's, there's so much there just in yeah, like I mean, a couple I, you, I, it sounds like you know maybe I, I'm making it up <laughs> no <laughs> so um so Richard Ward taught this and then he taught when Jesus you know he he, he agrees Jesus was born and, and he'll, Jesus has deity so you know if you hear him talking about Jesus briefly you'll look at he's orthodox that he's being biblical you know because he doesn't say anything really off there but then he'll say at the resurrection the universal christ was sort of i'm not sure the phrase that he has a kind of a way of putting it but what he's saying is the universal christ at the resurrection was sort of released Hmm. and there was jesus and there was the universal christ not one and the same so, uh, so he makes the distinction. I, I was gonna okay. I got a cu- couple questions. Uh, the first one, yeah. like, uh, when, like with with him with Christ being, I can't even remember how to. Uh, there's so much. The when he was originally the first incarnation was with creation. That sounds kind of like, um, like Kabbalah, like that, because they believe that there isn't there two different atoms and then one is like the higher one's the lesser and then humans came out of one are, are you familiar at all with that or it just seemed kind of well yeah i am i'm actually have a published article on the cabal oh, right. journal <laughs> but i don't i don't remember that part about that okay. now i don't think they, they don't say i mean there were later there were people who called themselves christians Kabbalists, but Kabbalists, but Kabbalah is actually jewish so right. they don't talk about christ so they they think that they have a story of creation right. that has to do with man um, separating from from the light. Man was really part of light and was light, right. but yeah. he you know he separated from that by by making a mistake, and then that so now the whole process is that man has to restore right. the garden and we have to bring the garden back. And that's yeah. kind of the overall theme back to the um, light kind of. Yeah. And, and that, you know, so it's all, it's kind of almost a sort of neo-gnostic. Um, but, um, yeah, this is creation that creation is actually the incarnation of Christ. Okay. It's okay. just really, so, it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So it's a, com- it's completely new age. It's that, that, Universal is yes, not yeah. Well, and I don't even call it new age. I mean, at first I kind of thought he was. He says some things that sound new age, and that some of his ideas would be compatible with new age. But he has them all in a Christian context. So he's putting, um, you know, the, I don't know any new ager that would say creation was the incarnation of Christ. Right. Yeah. They, they wouldn't say that. Mm. They might say there's a Christ spirit in creation but they wouldn't say it was the in i don't think they would use the word incarnation yeah, yeah i get that so yeah. is this something that they might say because i've heard this in in churches or and maybe turn or someone could uh i don't know if there's a term for this but the the uh the idea that like I, i've heard when jesus actually got baptized and then like the dove came down that i've heard like that's when he like he was just a normal man until he got oh. baptized and then came in and then I've heard that they say the Christ, you know, actually came down in the form of the Holy Spirit and then that gave him his powers and then he actually like fully became God. 
Yeah, well, that so is, a, is that kind of similar? No, it's not like no, it's okay. not like that. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. I think it's called adoptionism. Yeah, right. And okay. it was a heresy. It was a heresy in the church. That's okay. Right. So that um, that was had had to do with Jesus was was just a man until he was baptized, and then he became, um, you know, he had deity and from the Holy Spirit yeah. at baptism. So that, yeah, that's a, that's an, another, a whole other teaching having to do with, with the heresy in the church Okay, with that particular view. But that's not what, that's not what Roar said. Okay. So that, he doesn't say that. Okay. So he would still say that when Christ was originally born, that was his second incarnation, but he was fully Christ when he came. The second time? I guess. Yeah, he'll say okay. Christ, and it got, just like we would say. Okay. We would say the incarnation of Christ is, is Jesus is the incarnation of the Son of God, right? Okay. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. A Christian, that's a Christian doctrine, and he would he would say that, too. Okay, I just want to make sure it's heresy. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of all got mumbled point, up in my head, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, it's not really, as far as I know, unless he has more distinctions with it, it's not really heretical. Okay. It's the normal idea that Jesus is the incarnation of Christ. He just says it's the second incarnation. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I didn't so, mean to get off on the so tangent. Then, but... Yeah, then he's, then, you know, up until the resurrection, he's, he's saying, this is Jesus. Okay, but then at the resurrection, you have this universal Christ sort of splitting off. Okay. And the universal Christ is what is at work in, in now, because now, see, it's kind of like, I think what he's trying to say is that when creation, when Christ incarnated creation, there, he didn't have the power to do anything, and it took Jesus coming, um, you know, a man, uh Christ coming as a man and then resurrecting to kind of release this universal Christ. And so now the universal Christ can work to pull creation on this evolutionary path towards the point of perfection. Okay. So that's my, uh, that's my understanding of, and I don't claim that it's a hundred percent correct, but sure. that's my understanding of what he's saying okay. based on what I've read and heard from him. And so, um, so this is, so now what matters is not Jesus, but the universal Christ. Mm -hmm. And he'll even say, and I've heard him say this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote about Jesus, but John and Paul wrote about the universal Christ. Wow. <laughs> and so he'll say, John knew the universal Christ. And Paul, and, and he'll, this is what he does, and I've heard him do this. He'll say, do you know how many times Paul used the term in Christ? And then he'll say it. It's, I think it's something like, I, I could be wrong, but it's, it's a lot. It's maybe, I, I'm thinking 87, I could be wrong, it might mm -hmm. be less than that. He used it a number of times, the term in Christ. Yeah. War takes that literally, and he says, Paul said that because we are literally in Christ, because we're in creation, and the universal Christ is here, pulling, you know, in creation, pulling it towards this point of perfection. And so that's what Paul's talking about. And he said, and, and people just couldn't, he says, people just couldn't see that. We're just now beginning to see what Paul meant 
when he said in Christ. And he said, well, the Eastern Orthodox kind of got a little bit of it. And some, and he says the mystics got it. Mm-hmm. But he said, aside from the mystics and some, and the Eastern Orthodox to a certain extent, nobody's gotten it. And he says, and now we're just realizing it. And he says it like, well, this is just a natural, right. <laughs> you know, he, the way he puts it. Yeah. The way he puts it, it's kind of like, you know, if you didn't really know the Bible well or something and you were right. listening to him and you were open to this, you'd yeah. be like, yeah, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh, he understands, you know, he's seen it yeah. and other people haven't seen it. And so he's very convincing in the way he presents it. And I mean, I've seen him do this with a group of people on, on um, uh, YouTube where he has people around there and it's, it's called the, I think it was called an alternative. He likes to call it alternative orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, and he's just talking and, and nodding his head and smiling like, well, this is just all, you know, this just all makes sense, doesn't it? And everybody's sitting there kind of nodding their head like, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's an amazing to watch this kind of thing going on with him. Mm-hmm. And so um, he did that on Oprah, too. He was on mm-hmm. Oprah. And, you know, she was, like, smiling and nodding, too. I mean, because he just, you know, he just yeah. goes on like, well, this is just all so reasonable. And so this is this is the kind of stuff he's teaching, that, and Jesus did not die for sin. Right, right. Jesus did not die for sin. So, because, of course, that isn't needed. Jesus because doesn't it's, have to die for right. sin. So, yeah, that's a great point. I, I want to just take a pause for a second, because anybody who's listening to this, we're not— First of all, we're trying. What you're doing is you're exposing who who Richard Rohr is in his doctrines and yes. his theology, and why yes. that matters connected to the Enneagram. Right. Because yes, exactly. It, we're not exactly. just we're not just piling onto this guy. <laughs> There's right, these are right. his his words, his doctrines, his beliefs. His he's pushing this right. theology, and um and then he is also the greatest proponent of the Enneagram into the evangelical church. So this yes. is why it's important. And I just wanted to add one thing to this this is why it's important where the bible tells us to watch your doctrine and your faith mm-hmm. you know we were warned yeah. that to, we have to know what we believe and why we believe it so that when we know the truth when the lie comes we will spot it very quickly or at least be aware right. of it um and, and the reason why that universalist you know or that universal christ thought and theology is so dangerous is because exactly what you were just about to to get to which is the need for salvation because yeah. if we're all one and in, in, if yeah. all of nature is one with God then there the whole purpose of Christ was to bring us back into unification with God we were there was a broken relationship that needed to be put back right and Christ became that bridge by his life death and sacrifice on the cross and resurrection you know his innocent blood being poured out and and that's why it's important and I think people, we kind of forget the most important aspects of our faith mm-hmm. very quickly and very easily, and these things become attractive. Like, the, I was, uh, when you were talking, I pulled up a book called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. It's actually written by Richard Rohr, and yeah. it was originally originally published in 1989. So this, yeah. is, this is something that, yeah, he's been, he's and by a Christian publisher, no less. Uh, uh, well, it's called Crossroad. That's the name of the the publisher but uh so i'm assuming they're christian but um but this is how long he's been you know pushing this and teaching it and and really just dulling down uh the church to its message for people to receive it yeah and i think it's important to dig into 
uh, who this guy is because, like you like you had said at the beginning, you know, Rob Bell is a huge like he's a huge name, mm-hmm. and if he's rubbing shoulders with this guy and inviting him into the church, and then you know all these other progressives that are have big names, if they're hanging out with this guy and uh, bringing him into the church, it's important to know the person that is being so widely accepted by these huge big name people and you know giving a uh, a pass you know because someone yeah, that has exactly they, they lend credibility to this person just by engaging with them and like anyone that you know if we had someone you know on the podcast and they start talking crazy stuff and we're you know we just go along and say hey yeah you should listen to this person or you know we uh, agree with this person or something like that then we should be held account for, you know, bringing them into this thing. And if, you know, people trust us to, you know, just on like a smaller scale. So it's important to know about these people that are bringing the doctrines in. Yeah. So. Yes, it is. And, it, and it's not just through the progressives. I mean, that's how it initially got in. Right. But yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm glad you're letting me give this time, um, you know, to, to talk about war because he's a very key figure and not just because he's the one who first got it in for these progressives, but because the first book published that I mentioned earlier, the road back to you and uh, the sacred Enneagram are written by his disciple. Mm-hmm. That's, uh... And so, you know, I would call them disciples. They were um, Chris Hurrett and Suzanne Stabile. Yeah. Both have said they were mentored by Richard Rohr, mm. and and Suzanne Stabile said Richard Rohr mentored her and her husband for several years. Wow! She said over years and years he mentored us, mentored my husband and me. Her husband's a uh, Methodist minister. I don't know if he's active with the church, but he's or an ordained Methodist minister. Um, and then Ian Cron, as far as I know, was not was not mentored by Rohr, but he. Um, he has worked at his center, and I believe, and this is another part of Gore's theology that I, I want to mention because I had to get into the church via these writers, is perennialism. Um, mm. Well, let me, let me say something first before I go into that. Uh, the fourth book from IVP called The Sacred Rhythms of the Enneagram mm has this little section, I don't know if it's, I think it's in the book, but it's on, it's on the website um, about the book, and it says, this book is not an individual effort, it's built on the foundations of our Enneagram teachers. Now, they name Evagris Ponticus and Ramon Wall. Um, Evagris Ponticus is a 4th century monk, and Ramon Wall is a 13th century Spanish monk. Um, hmm. and neither of them had anything to do with the Enneagram. But that's what that's part of Richard Ward's story. <clears throat> he tries to make it um, sound like Evagris Ponticus was using the Enneagram. And we debunk that in our book. The book that's coming out is going to go into that in detail to show why perhaps um, Ward thought that. And it had to do with Evagris Ponticus because at that time they liked to draw numbers in shapes. 
Mm. And this was in the fourth century. And they, they just did all these kind of wacky things. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so he was doing these shapes, but it wasn't an Enneagram. And so we, we actually <clears throat> have a guy who looked into this. Uh, I'm sorry, getting <laughs> I don't know why it is. I was talking a lot earlier today, but um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Ronald V. Huggins, who has taught at three different seminaries and uh, specialized in the patristics, I think, for his dissertation, knows that era very well, and he did some research on this, and he explains it, and we have that in our book. So thanks to him, we, we really got the lowdown on this. And Ramon Lowell drew a lot of diagrams, um, but he was just charting different doctrines. He was trying to put them in charts because that was another thing that was popular to do, or he liked to do it. Uh, but he never drew an Enneagram. Right. And the concept wasn't didn't even exist then. But see how they're, they're mentioned here. And then after that, they mention um, several other people and I counted these people up. I looked up each person here, and um, they mentioned Richard Rohr, hmm. and then they mentioned 13 New Agers. Hmm. And so here's a Christian book saying, oh, here we're thanking all these uh, Enneagram teachers, and they, 13 of them are New Agers, <laughs> and one of them is Richard Rohr. And I thought, man, I never thought, I was in the New Age for 20 years, and God saved me out of that. I never thought I'd see a Christian book thanking New Agers right. for something for Christians. You know, oh, gee, we're thanking them, these New Agers for their contribution. And I have to think, do they know they're New Agers right. or that's, not? Yeah, that's the problem. That's, and the thing is, either way, it's bad. If they don't know right. they're New Agers, that's bad because they didn't check them out or they checked them out and they didn't recognize that they're New Agers. Right. Or they know they're New Agers, and that's bad, too. You know, I don't know which is worse. I think it's <laughs> equally bad. Yeah. So I was, I was quite, I did a, I, in fact, I did a Facebook post on it called Christians and New Agers Together. That's the name of my post. Hmm. And I mention all the names here. Um, so, uh, you see what, see what this Enneagram thing has done. It has brought Richard Warren to the church because Suzanne Stabile and Chris Hurts are his disciples and Ian Cron works with him. And, those books are the, were the first two most influential books used by evangelicals. And I listened to several talks uh, from different pastors and Enneagram teachers in churches, like uh, all over. Like well, one of them was at Saddleback, mm. and then another one was at uh, different churches. And in the case of all, all of the ones I heard, they, um, except for the two speakers at Liberty, I don't think they mentioned Richard Rohr, but mm. the other people all mentioned Richard Rohr in a favorable way. Mm. One of them, in fact, said he was a great Christian teacher, <laughs> and he said you should get his book on the Enneagram, and he's a great Christian teacher, and I'm just sitting here like, this can't be happening. It just right. can't be happening. Right. And so, um, and this is like supposedly evangelicals who are talking. So they're giving credibility to Richard Rohr. So no longer is it just the progressives who are giving him credibility. It's right. now these people in churches. And then you have, you know, all these big churches started doing the Enneagram and pastors started doing it and giving sermons. Um, there's several of them that did nine yeah. sermons, like they did nine-week sermons, one on each number each week. Yeah. And yeah. so it really got in. 
Um, now, the other the other view that Richard Ward has that I want to mention because I'm seeing little hints of it is something called the perennial philosophy mm-hmm. or, or perennial wisdom. Um, I sometimes just call it perennialism, but this uh, war is a big proponent of this. He's very open about it. And um, if you put that in on his blog, search box on his blog, cac.org, several, a lot will come up and you can read all the stuff he has there. Perennial philosophy is the view that all religions are connected to the same truth. They all come from the same source and they all connected to the same truth. Even though externally they look different and they have different traditions and different rituals and, and outwardly different teaching, they all are connected at the same place, the same court. And so, um, and usually God is spoken of in this sort of abstract way. God is usually called presence, or he's just called the, the, the divine. Mm-hmm. I never see any personal terms for God so far. I'm not an expert on it, but from what I've read, I haven't seen any personal terms. And so Richard Rohr, this is his this is his view, and that's one reason why he, you know, the fact he's departing from the Christian essentials doesn't bother him because he thinks, well, it's all the same anyway. Now, I read an interview, Incron did a seminar, believe it or not, with a new age woman named Beatrice Chestnut, and he also, she also interviewed him. And I read the interview and I did a Facebook post on it because he uses the term, um, he uses the term perennial wisdom. Mm. And then he uses wisdom a couple of times. There's an, I think he uses perennial twice. I have to reread it. But it's very clear that that's where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And he even says to her, when she asked him, why, well, why did you write this book on the Enneagram? Why now? And he says, one of the things he says is, well, now the church is more porous hmm. and open to wisdom from other traditions. Wow. <laughs> in yeah, other words, thought, you know, he's, in other he's words, right, they're asleep. That's an indictment. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. We're asleep. That's an indictment of the church. That's an indictment of the church. So, I mean, I even did a post called, is the Enneagram, is God testing the church with the Enneagram? Right. Because... It seems to be some people have left churches because of it um, when it was introduced, and they just they know what it is and they won't have anything to do with it, and they've had to leave their church. Wow! And so um, it has actually caused you know some some divisiveness. Oh yeah! But I think there's a reason for it, and it's because I think it's carrying with it. It carries with it these these false teachings, and now you see people who uh, they really think they can find their true self with the enneagram, and somehow this is going to help them in their walk with with God or with Christ. So that but yeah. you see them always identifying themselves with their numbers. This was this is what I was going to bring up next to you, because the 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 response that we get typically are, well, it really helped me. Like, um, yeah. it, it really taught me about myself. It showed, uh, it helps me understand my spouse or someone else. And it's enhanced, mm-hmm. it's enhanced my relationships or, you know, they use it as a, it's been a positive experience for them. Yeah. It's not enough yeah. that you would tell them, oh, well, this guy that was a big proponent of it. 
Oh, and here's the other thing too, Marsha. You mentioned this a while ago, and this is the one thing that blows my mind. When you let people know that it was really brought the the nine types that were put there was a huge influence by automatic writing, and it happened in the yeah. '60s, not way back when Sufis and and you know ancient church. Yeah, it, it yeah. was really developed in more modern and contemporary times. People don't they don't want to receive that. <laughs> Even yeah, though, yeah, I know <laughs> it's amazing. It's see this to me. This is an effect of the enneagram. Mm-hmm. They because they if you have an experience that you think is positive, well, it's helped me. Then when you get the facts, you either just dismiss them or you reject them or you say things like, "Well, I don't like people have said about information from me to other people that have shared my stuff. Well, I don't trust her." I don't know. I don't know why they don't trust me, but you know, it's kind of like they want to dismiss it. They don't, they don't want to accept it or acknowledge it, or they want to say, well, it doesn't matter because it helped me. So I don't care if it came from automatic writing. I don't care if it's invalid. And this to me is exactly how a new ager thinks. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized this a few days ago. I thought that is really what's going on here. It's, it's showing Christians to value their experience above doctrine and above truth. Right. And if you can value your experience above truth um, and above the facts, then you are going to open yourself up to other things that are false. Yeah. Because as long as you have a good experience, then it must be okay. Well, that's exactly how New Agers evaluate truth. It's exactly. true for me. Right. And yeah. that's what they say. I had this experience and it was true. It was spiritual for me. Therefore, it's true. And, okay, a New Ager can say that. I understand it. That's because New Agers don't have any absolutes and they don't know Christ. Mm -hmm. But see, Christians shouldn't be doing that, but they are. And that's what's so scary to me. And I think, um, you know, and then there's, see, a lot of people don't understand. You can can think that this has helped you or that it really describes you, and and it's a complete deception. And there's actually psychological, um, explanations for it. And this guy named, um, a Christian psychologist named uh, Jay Medenwald, um has written an art two-part article on the Enneagram. The first article is very technical. I can hardly understand it, but it's like <laughs> using the psychological language of how you assess a test to see if it's actually valid. Hmm. And he applies that to the Enneagram and says it doesn't pass any of those tests. It's not hmm. valid at all. And he gives all the reasons for it. Then this part two of the article, he addresses why people think it helps them. And he gives 12 reasons, all from the field of psychology, that explain why people think that of something. And and, and when he says, actually, this is how astrology works. And I've been saying that for the past two or three years. This is how astrology works. And one of my first responses to people when they say, but it helped me, I say, but you know, millions of people around the, the globe think astrology helps them. Right. And, you know, and millions of people think they fit their zodiac sign. And so if we're going to use that as a tool, as a test of validity, then you're going to have to say astrology is valid. Right. Because are you going to tell all these people that they're wrong? You know, well, a Christian should, you know, a Christian should say, yes, astrology is wrong. But, you know, if you're saying that the Enneagram is is valid because it helps you, you have nothing to say to people who like astrology. Yeah, you can't just pick and choose randomly because one worked for you and one didn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was an astrologer and I had lots of clients. And, you know, I, we didn't do just 
like, you know, zodiac sign, like, oh, you're a Leo. You know, I had their birth chart. So mm-hmm. it was very detailed. It was extremely detailed. You look at the sun and moon and each planet and what house it's in and what sign it's in, their distance from each other, what, what sign rules what house, and it's very complex. And, and without fail, my clients would say, oh, wow, you know, that is really, that is so true. You know, that really is true in my life, and that really is true of me, and this has really helped me. They all told me that, even a few who did it as skeptics. So I'm telling Christians, you can be convinced something is true, and it's not true. Because one of the things Jay explains in his um, article is that um, we have a great capacity for self-deception. And we really actually don't see ourselves objectively at all. We're very biased to see ourselves a certain way. And I know this is very true for me. Sometimes you can have very rude awakenings on it, you yeah, know. Yeah. You can think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not that kind of person. I never do that. And then, boy, somebody says to you, hey, you know, you know, you always say this when that happens. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I don't want to admit it. But I do. That's true. I'm like that. <laughs> You know? But I mean, usually most of us don't want to see that. Something, it's called, it's, you know, ugly about ourselves. I call it the so first first really, five years of marriage is what I call that. <laughs> the rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, then it really, it, things really uh, uh, are close and um, <laughs> up, up close and personal then, right? Right, yeah. that's The right. nitty gritty comes out, the nitty gritty. So um, we don't really like to see ourselves as we are. We really don't, especially the parts that, that might not be so great. And so it's very easy to take the Enneagram and the number and identify with that and then maybe think about what we think are the good parts and then, okay, well, this is the bad part. And then you can kind of admit that to yourself. And maybe there's, you know, there's little bits of truth in it because the Enneagram does describe aspects of human nature. Right. So there's going, just like the astrology, just like the zodiac signs describe aspects of human nature. And so you're going to get the same, you know, the same kind of thing where you start identifying. And then once you accept that as your number, you start filtering things through that number. You filter Mm. your experiences through it. So when things happen and you have a certain reaction, you think, oh yeah, that's because I'm a four. That's why I reacted that way. Or that was, that was my wing five. You know, I'm a four, (laughs) but my, I even heard somebody on the radio say, well, you know, my, my, I'm a nine, but my wing ate those things that bothers my nine or something. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, (laughs) this is like so, so crazy. And it sounds just like somebody with a, uh, knows their astrological chart or how I Mm -hmm. used to talk about my chart. Well, that's my Mercury and Libra. You know, that's why I can't decide on this, what to do in this situation. Because once I decide, I'm very intense because I'm a double Scorpio. But my Mercury and Libra, you know, is keeping me from making the decision. And and now you, Christians are saying the same thing, except they're using the Enneagram numbers. Right. So, so um, do you, th- you know, people are beginning to identify with their number, and it's just a natural human thing to do. Is Let me ask you a question. This, is, this might sound really elementary, but <laughs> I think there's somebody that's asking this question that's listening to this right now is is the enneagram spiritual is it a spiritual problem i yes i actually have said the enneagram is not spiritually neutral Hmm. because of how it developed because of where it came from from george gurdjieff when it was not even connected to personalities but he used it as an esoteric picture of of the universe and all the laws of the universe 
were reflected in the Enneagram. He felt the Enneagram could explain everything in the in the universe, all the secrets of the universe mm. and everything. It explained, uh, you know, everything. And so that became his diagram for the world. That was sort of his his tool, you know. And it had nothing to do with personality. And even when it went to Oscar Ichazo, um in Chile, in, a, in his school in Eureka, and he was an occult teacher, wasn't anywhere close to being a Christian. He was an occultist. Right. And um, he even taught it as um, he added what he called <clears throat> ego fixation. And what this was is um, these different ego fixations uh, were identifying a way that you identified with the false self. So he taught it as you have to know your ego fixation so that you know this is your false self so you can uncover your pure essence because your real self is a pure essence. Hmm. You know, it's really a very much of a new age idea yeah. and, 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 and a Gnostic and an occult idea. So you, you, that's, and that's the true self in the new age. So when it, okay, so it went from Ichazo to Naranjo was his student and Naranjo learned all this from Ichazo and then Naranjo took it and claimed that he came up with the nine types because Ichazo was not teaching personality types at all. But, but Naranjo is the one who started that. And mm-hmm. he said he got it from his observations, but mostly via automatic writing. Right. And that was, and he started teaching it around 1971 at Esalen um, in Big Sur, California, which was just a hot house of new age. Yeah. Yeah. Ideas. And, and so he was teaching it there and it was supposed to be secret. You know, like they weren't, people weren't supposed to go out and broadcast or, or talk about the Enneagram. Um, he supposedly gave permission to Bob Oaks to do it. And Bob Oaks is the only one he gave permission to, but it's still, you know, it, it leaked out. Was Bob Oaks and, a Jesuit? Was he a Jesuit guy? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was a Jesuit. I don't know why he was at Esalen, but he was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, he's a Jesuit, so. so. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, let me take a drink of water. Sorry. Sure. Man, I, it's interesting to me because. So, um, I'm sorry, what? Uh, I would say uh, it, it isn't neutral spiritually. Mm-hmm. Its origins and its roots rest in some really, really dangerous occult practices like the automatic writing, which is basically you uh, put yourself into a trance and let something write through. You become a vessel to write through. And it. Uh, yes. So if, for anyone listening who doesn't know what automatic writing is, it's, it's, a, it's a practice for the occult, in the occult, uh, pretty regularly. Yes, it's a form, it's a form of channeling, mm-hmm. channeling the spirit. That's what it is. And, and Naranjo knows this, and he talks about it in very um, positive terms. You know, he talks about it as the higher authority. And he says, well, you know, Ichazo got information from his higher authorities. And I believe in that because, you know, I operate that way as well. Mm-hmm. So Ichazo um, had claimed to have contact with two spirits, Metatron and something called the Green Kachub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a, has a very strange history to it, huh. uh, and and uh, Metatron is actually an is that, archangel in the Kabbalah. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I've heard of that before. He's um, also a transformer. Yeah. So transforming. <laughs> yeah. um, you I, know what? I, every time I've said that, that somebody says 
Is that sounds like a transformer? <laughs> it is. That was the name <laughs> of one did, of them. And I didn't know that. You know, so somebody <laughs> said that. I was like, "What? What are we talking about?" So, yeah. So, um, let me, let, so uh, this is this is where it's coming from. So we know that the teaching, even if Naranjo didn't get it, automatic writing. Let's say he made that up. He's the one who came up with the types. And look at him. Naranjo right. was basically a new age mystic, and his focus was the use of psychedelic drugs <laughs> for, especially for spiritual purposes. There's a whole video on YouTube where he talked about it. I posted it a few days ago. Hmm. And I and then what I said was anybody who thinks the Enneagram is valid needs to watch this and listen to what this man is saying. And because you're, you're going to hear stuff that's very dark. And I was just going to say, I, I picked up on this when you're talking, and I don't want to go too much in, uh, backtrack a little bit but when you're talking about perennialism i remember um aldous huxley actually wrote a book about it and uh, it was called the perennial philosophy i remember i read it years ago and he was instrumental in the esalon um institute as well and he wrote uh like the doors of perception and heaven and hell and was he was really big into uh like I think uh, Doors of Perception was all about mescaline, and he was really big into, uh, I guess, the New Age philosophy. He wrote Brave New World, if anyone yeah. know that book. That's but, his uh, most famous book. Yeah, it, I mean, he's... I he, think, actually, Brave, uh, Brave New World, I think, was written by George Orwell. No, that, that was... Uh, oh, 84. Huxley wrote 1984. Yeah. yeah. Huxley wrote 1984, yeah. yeah so but I, he's, I mean, it's just, it's funny to go back to him, and he was a huge... I mean, when you're running in the same circles with, you know, connected with, uh, you know, institutes that are connected with like Aldous Huxley and all this uh, yeah. stuff, it's not not good. Yeah. You're indicting yourself. <laughs> no, it's with... not good at all. <laughs> yeah. No, Esalen is, is, was definitely uh, one of the big sources of the modern New Age movement. Mm. And like you said, the I'm drugs. glad you brought up Aldous Huxley because he helped kind of give a big um, rise of interest to the perennial philosophy Mm -hmm. and more people got interested in it because of his book. Yeah. And then there's the taking of the drugs, which was also done at Right, People took drugs there for spiritual trips. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he's very much a part of it. It's, it's, uh, it's all tied together. It's very hard to separate it. It's Mm -hmm. all kind of mixed up. So I have a question about the, the, so when you look at the Enneagram, uh, the whenever you look at the logo or whatever you you want to call it, it's like the it's like a star. It has all these nine points or whatever. Is mm-hmm. is that connected in any way to gematria? No, no. As far as I know, it's not. Okay. As far as I know, it's not because um, I mean, if it is, I'm not aware of it. Mm. Uh, it, it nine often shows up as an important number in different spiritual belief systems. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people have tried it or have tied it to the Kabbalah. Other people have tied it to the nine planets. Um, the Sufi, supposedly in Sufism, nine is a special number. In numerology, nine is a special number because nine, um, you know, how um, any number with nine, you break it down like, like um, 39, if you uh, add that up, nine and three, it's 12, and one and two is three. So if you have 39, you just drop the nine and you have three. Right, yeah. 
So, you know, you can do all these little tricks with nine. So it's one of these numbers that just has an interesting mathematical pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, be- and I think because of that, it shows up in a lot of different religious beliefs as a special number. Mm. But as far as I know now, it could be that that's why uh, Gurdjieff, you know, he had some mystical reason for making it nine points. I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah. He may have, but I, I don't know him. He didn't, he didn't really write anything his, uh, about it. His student, Uspensky, is the one who wrote about the Enneagram. Yeah. Whenever I so look he's at, the one who talked about it. Yeah, whenever you look at a lot of esoteric teachings, they use different shapes and designs, like the pentagram or the, the cube. Um, or the hexagram, or the they'll use the um, what's famously known as the Star of David, you know, in certain uh, occultic mm-hmm. circles, and Kabbalah is one of them yeah. for sure. And I, they all mean like how many points are on there. They mean uh, different things to for different esoteric reasons. And I, I was just curious if you knew anything about that, if that was a connection. Yeah, but. I I would not connect the enneagram to that because the way the um, personalities are, I don't see a numerological. Yeah. Okay. Really, I haven't thought about it too much. I did study some numerology when I was in the age, but, um, you know, I'm, I would have to really think through and see just the numbers matching what they're, what they're saying they are, you know, and they have like what four is, what five is, and what six is. And I don't know if it's deliberately tied into, I don't see it as deliberately tied into numerology, and you don't new, use numerology when you're analyzing the Enneagram. Yeah, that's so, true. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not used at all. So I tend to not say that it has anything, I, I don't see any evidence for it. Yeah. Especially in its use, you know, in its origin, I don't know, possibly. Yeah. Okay. But you can take any shape and make it into an occult symbol. You know, <laughs> right. geometric shapes really just from creation, from what God created. You know, and I try to get this across to people, but a shape in itself is not evil. It's just a geometric shape. Yeah. You know, a pentagram is really just a five-pointed shape. And yeah. in itself, it's not evil. And it actually used to represent the five wounds of Christ on the cross. Wow. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, always, it wasn't an evil symbol back then. You know, whenever that was, like the 12th century or something. So it's these symbols, and these symbols change over time, and they change uh, from culture to culture. So they're not always the same thing. And in fact, Christians use one of the best illustrations of the Trinity is to use a triangle mm-hmm. and have God, Father, and the Holy Spirit. And then you have they're all God, but then God is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you've seen that. That's a little symbol of the Trinity. Yeah. I've used it several times. So, you know, that. so is it wrong to use a, the triangle to illustrate the Trinity? No, because it's just a shape. Right. So what matters is what meaning you're attaching to it. Yeah. yeah. And um, the ideas behind it. That's what really matters. So, yeah, but that's a good question because a lot of people wonder about that. And there might be some reason that Gurdjieff wanted to do nine, some mystical reason. It wouldn't surprise me because pretty much every, everything he did was coming from, from the, you know, the sort of esoteric, mystical, Gnostic kind of viewpoint. Yeah. Um, if it but did- it's really what it's ended up being and supposedly this tool to not just it's not just a personality thing though like the way Chris Hurts teaches it it's the it's the nine paths to God hmm. and um, you know they talk about 
it's the face. Uh, Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron have said, uh, well, it's the face. It's the face of God. I think Richard War said that, and that's why they say it. They said that in an interview. Well, we've heard that it's the face of God. <laughs> well, really? I mean, this is horrible. I think this is a almost blasphemous to say that. Yeah. Where's Jesus? I thought Jesus was the face. He's the image of the invisible yes, God, right? Jesus is the face of God. <laughs> that's a very good point. Jesus, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. And so you're right. Jesus is literally the face of God. And he shows us who God is. And so uh, to take this tool from the occult and say this is the face of God, of course, if pe- people think, a lot of people I have been deceived, and they think it comes from some ancient Christian origin. Right. <clears throat> but that's not true, and there's absolutely zero evidence for it, and that's all debunked. So our book debunks the falsehoods about the Enneagram. It talks about the history of it and the people involved, and then another chapter talks about the influence mm. that it's had, that Richard War has had. There's a whole yeah. chapter just on the influence of Richard War. And then there it kind of finishes up with, you know, what, what the church should be doing when it's dealing with things like this. How do we mm. assess this as yeah. Christians, biblically? So the book is not incredibly long. It only has eight chapters. So mm. it's not like you're going to be picking up a big you know, 10 pound tome. <laughs> it's going to take you, take you, you know, two years to read. Right. You know, you probably, I'm guessing, I haven't seen it, of course, in book form, and I only know it from reading like in PDF on my computer. So I'm, I, I don't, that doesn't give me a good idea of the length of a book right. at all. I just, right. I'm not good at that kind of thing. But um, I, I don't, it's not very long because I mean, I've read, I've read it and, you know, there's several pages to each chapter, but still there's just eight chapters. So it's a very readable yeah. book, but it will have pretty much everything you ever need to know or want to know about the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's just amazing that this thing has been so deceptive and has been introduced with these ideas that at first it was Christian and then that it's really a psychological tool and that it's really going to help you and it's going to help you with your walk with God. And it just keeps, you know, these little tales that are spun with the Enneagram and they're all false. They're just all false. And yet it keeps going, you know, it's just like this little tumbleweed that keeps yeah. blowing down <laughs> the desert, gathering more and more stuff on it and getting bigger and bigger. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I just yeah. yeah, I described the new age that way. Yeah, as a tumbleweed, you know, and it just gathers stuff as it moves along because yeah. it's really how it, what it's like. And I see the enneagram the same way. And um, also, the and both the enneagram and astrology started off without any reference to personality type. There's a lot of parallels between them, hmm. except astrology is much more ancient, but. Astrology was not about personality because the concept of personality is very modern. I mean, it really is something yeah. that happened like in the 1800s. Yeah. They had the four humors, you know, and they had like Chaucer writes about that. Um, but that had more to do with, with a lot to do with health and your body shape and um, your overall, um, your overall, I guess, be demeanor. You know, it hmm. wasn't an, an analysis of your personality. Um, it was much more generalized. So the personality is really a concept that came with psychology, and that's mm-hmm. when the uh, astrology chart 
uh, it was very fatalistic until then. It was kind of like, well, here the chart is showing, you know, you're going to be widowed twice and <laughs> you're going to end up in the poorhouse, you know. It was this very fatalistic thing about your life's events. It wasn't about your personality. And the personality didn't come into it until the late 1800s and around the turn of the 20th century. And there was one astrologer in particular who was very interested in psychology and a student of it, and he started adding in psychological meaning to the mm. chart, and other astrologers picked it up. And that's when it started getting more psychological, and that didn't even get to its full psychological point probably till the 60s and then Carl Jung was a big influence on it so they both started off with no personality stuff and it was added later Mm -hmm. man well I am excited to get a hold of this book when it comes out I'm going to (laughs) definitely be uh, maybe you can sign a copy for us and uh... (laughs) yes please okay (laughs) but uh, I don't know if you're into that but uh, we're definitely I'm definitely going to recommend this book and I want to let all Thank of you. Well, I I will ask John about getting getting something to you. Oh yeah. Really well, we'd that. like to have him on too to talk about some of the cult stuff. Maybe we maybe you can help us connect with him. But oh uh, yeah, that would be great. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll um I'll do that. I will um I'll just connect you all on on Facebook in a message, and then that way, awesome. You know, you you can get in touch with him right away. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be okay. fantastic. Okay. But man, we Marsha, we I just here's the thing personally what I feel about you is that you are this this uh treasure trove of just spiritual information and mm-hmm. the ministry that God has uh what he took you out of and how when he, you know when you surrendered your life to him the ministry that he handed to you out of your experience is very valuable and I am um, just pray that more people can find you and can hear and read, you know, your articles and find freedom in Christ and salvation in Him alone, and and abandon these silly needs for things like astrology or the Enneagram, even, you know, um, and really, really develop a discerning heart and spirit. Because in my in my eyes, the, this is the greatest lacking uh, part of the church today is discernment. And I agree with you. Yeah, I the, agree. And a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah. The, you know, you mentioned it earlier. It's just um, emotion and how I feel and an experience. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. uh, that experience has taken over, especially when it comes to the, the worship side of things, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the looking for mm-hmm. an experience. And, um, man, it's heartbreaking. And I can only imagine that the authentic move of the Holy Spirit would be confusing to them and they might even miss it you know yes yeah yeah because you can substitute you know then you can let the emotions and some kind of experience you know be like a substitute for it and then you don't really think you need anything else you know you just go on on that yeah you start chasing the emotion but Yeah. yeah Well, I'm excited to read this book, and we're going to make put links as much as we can in our show notes here. Okay. And obviously, we'll we'll give you a shout out when it when it releases. We'll I'll put it on our Instagram and Facebook, you know, page and all of that stuff. And, okay, thanks. And I just want to encourage anyone listening to this. You know, we this a lot of information was given mm-hmm. about you know, especially about Richard right. Rohr and. It has nothing, like like I said before, it has nothing to do with bashing this man, but what we need to do is you need need to consider the source 
and consider where the source has, where they're getting their information, what they believe before you consume something of the nature of, you know, of this nature. Um, and the fact that we already shared that it wasn't spiritually neutral, this isn't just a, a personality thing. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's much, it has roots in much deeper things that are much more deceptive and could be much more right. harmful, you know, to the church in general, but personally to you as well. So I would just encourage the listener, just pray and ask, ask God, honestly, you know, should I be involved with this? Should I be doing this? You probably already have a check in your heart or your spirit about it, and you just haven't been yielding to it because other people that you trust and know are talking about it. But this has got to be between you and the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's where, mm-hmm. that's where it has to sit. And that's where you need to obey. But, uh, yeah. And so Marsha, yeah. I just appreciate your ministry and all that you bring and add to the church and the gift that you are, you, you, you're a gift, you're a gift to the church. And I'm thankful for that. Well, thank you. That's very encouraging. And, you know, praise the Lord for taking me out of the new age and giving me mm-hmm. all those years, you know, after I was saved, I thought, why did God let me stay so long? Mm. You know, he could have <laughs> gotten me to be a Christian a long time ago. <laughs> you know, right? but see, all, all of those years now, I, I accumulate a lot of knowledge and understanding and experience in the, in the new age, and I can, I can now use all of that to expose it. So, you know, that's, I, that's my answer. Like to me, I think that's why, you know, God let me stay in it so long. I mean, I can't say for sure, but that's my guess. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make one quick point when you said, you know, we need to look at where this Enneagram is coming from. Um, because I want to make a point, like if Richard Rohr had invented a a fantastic coffee, you know, like if he started a coffee (laughs) company and he had a great coffee that he got from, you know, South America or something, it was good. I would have no problem saying, sure, if you like Richard Rohr's coffee, (laughs) you know, there's nothing wrong with buying his coffee unless, you know, you think the money's going to go help him and his work and his work is a problem. But just in terms of the coffee itself. No, it wouldn't be wrong to drink a cup of Richard Rohr's coffee, you know, but we're talking about a tool that has spiritual implications, and that's why it's different. Yeah. So I just want to make make that distinction there. That's a great point. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Marsha, we're so thankful for you again. Yes. And, um, we, you know, again, we will have you back on as, as long as you're willing to come back on. You always have an open door if— uh, huh? If there's yeah, something you want to talk about ever, just shoot me a text, man. We'll we'll line it up. <laughs> we okay, okay. Well, I usually have things I want to talk about, so <laughs> I'm sure I, I can I can come up with something. So that sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks again for spending time with us and sharing this. And we're gonna we're gonna promote this book, um, you know, to our our listeners, and we'll make uh, all the links available as they become available to point people in that yeah. direction. And uh, we just hope all the I'll best. I'll try to remember to tag you when I get the uh, the link uh, to the website up where people can pre-order so that awesome. you, can, you can use that. Yeah, thank you. So. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. We'll, okay. Well, we'll catch you next time. Okay. All Great. Right. Thank you again. Thank Thanks. you, Marsha. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us, or you can find us on Twitter at AllOutWarCast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.